Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Just the Basics. I'm Tommy. I'm Matt. And we're keeping the beat for you once a week. Well, sort of, usually. I guess. <laughs> yeah, usually. We, we were going pretty good there for a while, and then uh, life happened and things got busy, but we're back now. Got and, busy was a very clever choice of words. Yeah, well, <laughs> hectic, chaotic, whatever you want to call it. I have my own office now and a desk. Like, I'm not sitting on the, on the living room couch anymore while recording. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice, you know, a podcaster sitting on his couch? That's like, feel like that's pretty stereotypical. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Or a big weird chair on a crappy set and who knows where. Or just with all the echoing of the dining room table coming off or whatever. <laughs> mm, yeah. I guess I could have recorded a solo episode, but nah, lazy. Yeah, that's okay. We're back now. And so we'll get you guys some good content. We're going to try to be more consistent this time around. We we made it like 26 weeks in a row before we missed a week though. That wasn't too bad. Yeah. I think fair's fair. You were moving. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind I of mean, hard when your microphone's packed away and and uh there's not really any time to do any research or anything like that. I think they'd rather that than uh you're talking out of a U-Haul. Oh my god. <laughs> hey gosh, guys, keeping a beat. What's a bump 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 bump? <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what it felt like, man. You know, it's it's crazy. We were talking about recording this, and last night when we were texting about it, I suddenly had the realization of I had no idea where my mic was, and I'm opening up box <laughs> after box. Like most of the boxes are unpacked, but apparently not the mic, and I couldn't find it anywhere. And then I opened the closet, and so it's a two bedroom apartment, and my office is in the second bedroom. So I opened the closet and I looked on the top shelf, and there's my mic in the box. I don't remember putting it there, but there it was, and so it was the day was saved. I was trying to figure out how we were going to record it. But hey, whatever, we're good now. So this week we are going to do something that wasn't high on our list of stuff to do, but we have a, uh, I mean, we get a pretty consistent number of downloads every week, but we don't get a consistent feedback from people. So we don't get questions. So we had to go searching for our own questions to answer. What do yep. you know? Um, so we went to Reddit and searched the deeps of the depths of Reddit for music theory questions. <laughs> Actually, I spent about 20 minutes uh, on the r slash music theory subreddit and found a whole bunch of questions to use. And we probably have more than what we need, but it'll be fun. And I don't know what any of them are. So this is completely natural response time from me. <laughs> Which that, I think that makes it even more fun. Yes, I, w- I shall be <laughs> surprised. Don't worry. This has nothing to do with me being lazy. This has everything to do with us trying to make it interesting for you. <laughs> now, I just wish that we could see the look on your face with some of these questions. No, oh, well, yeah, I don't think you want to. It's it's early in the morning. <laughs> I haven't had coffee cup number two. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I've got mine still sitting next to me on the uh, the cup warmer. <laughs> All right, so we're going to start out with this first question here. Um, this one is kind of a strange question to me. I I never would have thought about this, but people have weird things they think about, and. One thing, too, we, I want to preface this with, we kind of look at music with like the Occam's razor mentality of like, normally the simplest answer is the best answer. And most people on Reddit do not think that way. Mm. They overcomplicate things. And so if you think that we're giving dumb answers, it's because we just, maybe we think it's a dumb question. I, I don't know. <laughs> All right. First question here. Uh, is it acceptable to compose in the key of C minor or C major or A minor? and possibly transposed to another key when the piece is finished. 
just because this is way more easier to compose harmony and goes a bit quicker overall, or is it just not effective? What? <laughs> so basically what this guy is saying is he wants to compose music, but only in the key of C and then just transpose it to the key he wants later on. Oh. Uh, okay, okay, okay. I thought it was like asking, can I transpose from C major to A minor? And I'm like, well, yeah, but... <laughs> I guess technically, yeah, but it'd be a pain in the butt. <laughs> that, that, I mean... That, it's that that I guess you really can't have techniques for if it was C major A minor. I know that's not the question, but you just want to use some A harmonic minor to change the tone of things and be clever about it. Yeah. But uh, yes, you can transpose. Think of the thousands of pop songs that go up a half step at the last chorus. Mm-hmm. I mean, does that, that answer that question? I feel like it does. I think we've had tons of songs that we've heard on the radio of all styles that transpose uh, right there at the end, and it sounds good. It's more so how you uh, make that right. modulation happen. Yeah, I, I agree to a point on this question, but it depends on what you're... Uh trying to compose like if you're talking about just like a pop tune that you just want to change the key for your singer that's whatever do it all in the key of c if that's what floats your boat though if you are trying to record or trying to compose for like a saxophone player you don't do this this is a bad decision because every instrument has a different range of notes that sit well on it mm. and you can completely mess everything up like if you're trying to compose something for uh electric bass let's say and you want to do it in the key of a minor and you want to take advantage of what the bass can do you're really not thinking it through because the bass has a wide its widest range in the key of e minor and so if you try to do it in a minor and then just transpose it down and you think you've taken advantage of everything that it can do you're completely wrong so i think it depends on the instrument you're recording for you're composing for and that sort of thing True. Because you can kind of mess everything up if you don't do it that way. <laughs> yeah, I guess if it's uh, if it's kind of going that way, it's more of, can I take this song to an easier key for me? Then I think it it's completely contextual. First of all, you need to know how to transpose. Right. Be careful if you're on like Ultimate Guitar or something and use their transpose button because sometimes it glitches out a little bit or it just um, maybe it doesn't necessarily glitch out, but it gives you like the opposite end of the accidentals. Like you wanted E flat, but it's giving you F sharps in the key. And then that's just confusing your language. Mm -hmm. It might be like t technically the correct chord, but it's like, it's the relative definition of it. And you, you don't really want to, get used to communicating incorrectly. So you want to have things right. identified properly. And especially when it comes to key changes, because like Tommy said, if there's a saxophone or a trumpet around, they not only have their own range where a guitar player and a bass player have a really huge range and a piano has a massive range and singers usually have a big old range, a comfortable range, but a big range. But a saxophone and a trumpet and other 
such instruments, they literally have a range that they can't go outside of because right. the, the instrument can't access notes beyond <laughs> that. And they also operate in a completely different key. So if you have a, tre- uh, a, a treble sax, a g- great job, tenor sax, <laughs> then you have to have that key be a whole step higher because they technically play a whole step under. That right. might sound a little confusing, but if you're in C, then the uh, the general key for a tenor sax is B flat. So you have to compensate by put giving them a whole step up. So that that really right. depends on the instruments you're working with. If you actually need to know that information, if you're just holding a guitar and you're trying to figure out, can I put a capo up here instead of down there? The answer is probably sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if it makes it easier for you, you can go for it, but just be careful because depending on what your purpose is that you're recording it for, you know, it's probably, it might not work. Now, to be honest, anybody that's writing, for example, for a, like a string quartet or for a jazz band probably is not going to do this method because Absolutely. they're just, they're going to have the skill level not to do it. My guess, and I don't know this, but my guess is that the person that made that question is a uh, like a beginner piano player that just doesn't want to use the black keys. Probably. That would be my guess, but who knows? I'm not trying to be judgmental. That's just what I would assume based off of the question. There's also the issue that if all you're doing is playing chords, um, you're not playing a part or anything like that, then you'll end up sounding the exact same in every single song that you play, regardless right. of what what style that it came from. If you're just playing a whole bunch of pop songs all in the same key, you're going to get stuck doing the same exact stuff with zero creativity. That's an issue that um, we run into in worship teams where everything is in the key of C, G, or D. So every single intro sounds exactly the same of a one, four, one, two, three, four, one, and it drives you nuts. But when it's all the same chords anyway, it's kind of hard to break out of that. So if you need something in a certain key, make sure that you use things to identify the song. Like sometimes there are little lead parts in the intro, little riffs or whatever. Make sure that it's clear that that's the song that it is because it will help you be more creative and others around you. Mm-hmm. Very true. All right. I think that answers that question. Oh, yeah. Let's move on to the next one. Um, What does sus mean at the end of a chord? Not sus4 or sus2, just sus. (laughs) Pretty straightforward. (laughs) That's a cute one. (laughs) Yeah. I can understand asking this question. I completely get it because if you haven't seen it before, first time I saw a sus chord, I was like, what what does this mean? Uh, I don't know. And so I just ignored it. I'm a bass player. I just played the root and just ignored it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's fair. It doesn't mean as much for you as it does for everyone else. Well, that's debatable. It depends on what you're playing. but uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know. But in like a general context, the bass player might not have to worry about that because they're probably right. playing a whole note. <laughs> yeah, especially at a beginner level. It's not as important. But So yeah, yeah. what does sus mean at the end of a chord, Matt? Well, that's, that means suspension and no this is not the time to make the g sus joke 
I'm just going <laughs> to refer to it. Um, but if if you have a sus cord, then um, that means a suspension. And the, I mean, generally the just a sus is the same as a sus four, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I would say. Because there are different kinds of sus, but generally the quote unquote sus four is what a suspension tends to be. Um, you'll you'll have other versions of it, and they all operate the same way. It's using a a uh, chord tone that it's self explanatory that it's suspending a chord tone that is not generally in the triad, which then re- mm-hmm. well it should then resolve itself into the chord tone of the of the triad. So in a in a D sus with a that would be a sus four. You are suspending the fourth chord tone from D, so a G, right. and then that resolves down to F sharp, the three. So in the sus, mm-hmm. there is no F sharp because that would be a half step apart, and it would eliminate the need for the actual suspension feel. Right, and then it resolves down and gets rid of the G. Plus, if you had the three and the four, then you're kind of going more of a 11 route without the seven i think then you end up calling it a d4 and it better be voiced properly but no one really likes to use that because it's yeah i will say most of the time that i see a sus chord written out people just play the suspension so in a d like you said dga is what people play and not resolve it uh technically that's not the right way to do it that's normally how i hear it done it tends to be because usually uh especially in, in a worship and uh, the chart will not give the resolution. And that's the chart's fault for the most part, but it's also on the person to understand what the suspension actually does and to resolve it. There is the occasional time when uh, a chart will use the sus when really they actually mean a four, just a four. They don't Mm -hmm. want it to resolve. A suspension is, at least by music theory rules, 100% of the time needs to be resolved. That's its function. Right. You are suspending into the resolution. It's an anticipation into the actual chord. And if you don't do that, then it it sounds wrong and it's creating a tension that you leave. It's it's like a plot hole in a movie. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of leaving something unanswered completely when it's very simple to just resolve it. So, yes, as a guitar player, there are different shapes. You play that one shape and then you resolve it into the other shape. Uh, DSUS is an extremely easy way to visualize it just because you make the D shape, put your pinky down on G, and then you just release your pinky into D. That's the easiest way to visualize it just because it's right there, right on top, and that's the function. But, like I said, sometimes the arranger really meant D4 or add 11, however you want to say it, where it doesn't resolve. They just want that note to be sustained throughout the entirety of the phrase. So a lot of Chris Tomlin tunes will hang on D no matter what chord you're playing. So there'll be like a C2, a G, a D, and all these that don't let you take your finger off of that one 
uh, single D note. I hate it. I don't like how that sounds, but some people do. Some people like one note being uh, held onto throughout a progression. And I can understand where you might think that's creative, but I think it kind of creates dead air, in my opinion. Right. Yeah, it's, you know, like I said, like like Beethoven used to do chain suspension, so he would suspend a chord and then resolve it, and the note that resolved became the suspension of the next chord, and it would resolve and become the suspension of the next chord, and it would just go, like, just through loops of it, and it was the coolest thing. Oh, my gosh. You don't That's see that. using them properly. That's how yeah, you do it. exactly. You don't really see it used like that anymore, but, yeah, it's... Basically, it just means sus4. Yes. Pretty easy there. All right. Let's see. Let's get to the next question. Um, this one here. Okay. This one is kind of a vague question. It says, what makes a song catchy? Ooh. So it says, what makes a melody memorable versus one that's forgettable? That is a really good question. I'm going to go for kind of the vague answer and say that um, simplicity. Yeah, simplicity is a good answer. And sometimes, uh, and you might think, okay, so that means if it's really fast notes that and busy texture that it won't be memorable. Not necessarily, because I think you can make simplicity inside of uh, well, overlaid on complexity. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of Coltrane stuff that is uh, like Ascension. It's it's insanity. It sounds like you've opened the gates of hell. But I remember my experience of hearing that the first time. And, and no, that's not catchy. But my point is that the simplicity of it is that it just sounds like a bunch of wailing ducks being kicked in the throat. And yeah. I just remember that when you just break it down to one thing, this is kind of that Occam's razor thing of the simplest answer is the right one is sometimes if you can just kind of sum it all up in one simple message that that's what sticks in your brain a little bit. So uh, mm-hmm. all blues, which uh, Tommy was playing before we started recording is extremely catchy. Why? It has a nice little groove with a very simple bass line. Don't but up but up and you just feel like you're sipping some nice tea and a at a barbecue with some good friends. I mean, that's just because I remember playing it in a combo where that's what we did. But <laughs> yeah, uh, still, it it's one of those things that takes you back a little bit. And then you might think, okay, fine. Well, what about Gangnam Style? I mean, <laughs> co- come on, who who doesn't like that? Just the simple smile of seeing some chubby Korean dude doing <laughs> silly dances on YouTube with a song that it, honestly it kind of grooves pretty doggone hard. So yeah, it makes yeah. sense. <laughs> I I think that's a good answer for that. Uh, I think part of it is it's got to be something that's singable. Yes. So something that, like you said, Matt, simple, but. Um, something that you can just kind of hum along to and feel comfortable with, you know, something that like groove, I mean, yeah, it needs to groove, but like what really is groove groove is like predictable forward momentum in a song. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that where the song is going based off the way it feels, you know, you can kind of 
like, you know, Matt, have you I'm sure you've done this before. I feel like everybody in the entire planet that has ever heard music on the radio has done this. You hear a new song pop up and you're listening to it and it feels good. And you kind of start humming the melody along and then you start humming a melody that you think comes next, even though you haven't heard the song before and you end up being right or really close to right. Yes. Because the song is predictable. Not that you want your music to be 100% predictable, but predictability is kind of catchy. People like it. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say, yeah, if yeah. we could answer this question 100% right, we would not be doing this podcast. We'd be making so much money from songwriting that it wouldn't even be funny. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, <laughs> making catchy tunes is it's very difficult. Yeah, it, it truly is. It's what got like Katy Perry and Lady Gaga and all those big names that everybody knows. It's because of the catchy writing. That's why they're so big and everyone knows them Mm -hmm. because of their, uh, it's not just their star power and their personalities. That's part of it because that's in our culture. But if their music was just dead and sucked, which some of their songs aren't that great, it's just, it's how it is. But a lot of it is super catchy because of the songwriters and they make sure that it's something that will, uh, it'll catch your attention and retain it. So that you just get a little bit of it. I think Katy Perry's mo- newest single, uh, oh, get, uh, Never Really Over, is a perfect example of catchy writing. Just because there are so many different segments of that song that I feel like are meant to catch different people. Uh, there's one section of it that really gets me and I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. But then I go back and listen to it again, and I realize that about 80% of the song I don't care about. It's just that one part that got me. But right. um, my wife, who likes most of it, uh, the multiple parts of the song catch her attention. And I think that uh, one thing that I t- teach to some of my more advanced students is if you hear something and notice it while you're listening to music, that means your brain has pro- is processing that and you are capable of playing it. Whether or not you are technically able to at the moment with your fingers, it doesn't matter. Your brain was able to comprehend that musical expression and you can utilize that within your own play. Mm-hmm. To your brain, that was catchy and you are able to use anything that is catchy. So when you're writing something that's catchy, you want to write things that the most amount of people will be able to comprehend and whether they know it or not, they are capable of translating that into their own music. Right. Can I read a, um, a response that somebody made to this on the Reddit feed? Of course. It's, it's really, it's stupid, funny. Oh my gosh. It's, it's kind of wrong, but <laughs> hey, okay. all, all views. What they wrote is my usual response. Well, it, okay. It's not wrong. Like, the answer itself is not a wrong answer. It's just the way he presented it is wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they said, my usual response to a song being described as catchy is, so is syphilis. Catchy isn't always good, and what one person finds catchy might not hook another. It's oh so very subjective. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Dang, okay. dude. It's true. I mean, it is very subjective. Songs. There are some songs that I think like sound really good and groove really hard. And I'm like, yeah, that is awesome. My wife's looking at me like, what the heck is wrong with you? Why do you like that? And the <laughs> other way around. 
like uh-huh. her favorite types of concerts to go to. There's this uh, group called the Whalen Jennies, which they are fantastic. They sound just as good in person as they do on on the records, but they're not like my favorite group in the world. She they do more of like they're Canadian. They do more of like a choral style stuff, really folky. I don't really listen to folk music very much. It's just mm. not really my thing. I don't really find it to be that interesting. I mean, when the chord goes from A minor to F to C major to A minor to F to C major for the yeah. entire song, I'm kind of like, you know, it just bores me after a <laughs> while. But they're so good that I actually had a lot of fun at the concert. But anyways, she finds that stuff really catchy, really interesting. She loves to sing along with it. Me, uh, not so much. I wouldn't right. necessarily have related to syphilis. That's kind of uh, extreme. <laughs> I totally get what he means by that. I think that it, say he was a teacher. I think that that comparison could be uh, polished up a little bit to make a ton of sense and actually communicate something that works. That's a right. little extreme. I think it just kind of, but now, yeah, now, exactly. I'm, now I'm getting into to teaching terminology and how you say things. I'm not going to go that, that down that route, but Catchy music is is just such a cool topic to talk about just because of that fact of sometimes it's catchy because it's annoying as heck. Like think of all those hundreds of uh, YouTube songs from the old days that we all still remember. Narwhals, narwhals, and all those stupid songs that were ridiculous and annoying. Friday. Uh, uh, Oh my gosh, that. Uh, What does the fox say? Peanut butter, jelly time, all those songs were stupid, but they were catchy as heck, and we still remember them, and it's ridiculous. But there's also stuff that it's just like, oh, wow, that is good. Like, I mean, uh, last time we recorded, when after we wrapped up, I noticed that TWRP had dropped a new album, and holy crap, is it good. And I'm probably going to mention it again when we talked about about recommendations, but uh, they leveled up and in their music playing and I already loved them. But that album is filled to the brim with so many good ideas that probably when I played for my wife, like she liked it. And I'm happy about that because uh, we don't usually uh, listen to the same exact music. She has her playlist that I let her play most of the time when she's in the car, and then I have my playlist. Um, but that album was overflowing with all these good ideas all at once, and my head spins when I'm listening to it because everything that's happening from every instrument all at once is just good idea, good idea, good idea, good idea, good. Oh my gosh, what are you doing? Stop it, please. Because I want to learn everything in the album from front to back. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I would say that for me, like it's an album that was somehow written perfectly for me. Like Everything about it is catchy to my brain. And I just want again, 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 because it's not often that I will put an album on replay unless I'm trying to learn the lyrics because I want to sing along to it. <laughs> right. All right. I feel like that answers that one pretty well. Yeah. Let's see. Next one here. Okay, this question kind of made me drop my jaw a little bit at hmm. this question because I, I just don't understand. I, this is an example of people overcomplicating stuff. So um, the title is Question for Instruments, Question for Instrumentalists Use Solfege Movable Dough. 
I have been learning movable dough selfage for several weeks. Everything is great as long as the tune I'm playing is major. However, today I began learning autumn leaves, which is aeolian, and I've gotten myself a conundrum. Do I reteach myself all of the scale shapes? I'm a guitarist with do, re, me, fa, so, la, te. So each syllable will still represent the same scale degree, or I do, do I use la as my tonic? Do is the minor third, etc. And teach myself which syllable represents which scale degree in each respective mode. I've looked up a lot of stuff on solfege, but I can mostly just find beginner crapola. Uh, it's this, it's like this is insider stuff that people who go to music school talk about among one another. But I have no real need to discuss in public forums, so I can't find Jack. Okay. Like I said, this guy is overcomplicating this issue so, so, Holy so much. crap. Who is teaching that person? I think they're teaching themselves. That would be my I hope so. I really hope so. That uh, I mean, the, the main answer that I can say to that is please take a music class. Obviously, you're interested. <laughs> yeah. Please find so, a teacher because the whatever is teaching you right now is mutilating. it. it wait, that. Did he say, he or she say what instrument they're playing or, or are they a singer? Uh, they did not say no. Okay, because Solfege really doesn't do much unless you're a singer. That's the point of Solfege. Exactly. Oh, no, they did say I'm a guitarist. So I don't know. Oh, my gosh. Why please stop using Solfege. Please. Yeah. Um, first, yeah, first of all, don't, you don't need to do that. But. That's a, singing, all, that's a singing tool. The, the syllables are meant to help your, you uh, get the tones right when it changes from major to minor. Because May is easier to hit as the minor, the flat three, than me. <laughs> right. I, I think what this means, to me, what this sounds like, is that this person is confused about modes, not about solfege. Maybe, yeah. I think so. I think. Well, okay, because like... Matt, you know this, the movable do solfege. So basically what that means is do changes based off your key signature. So like, yes, uh, you can make the argument that autumn leaves <laughs> is a mode, but I would not, I would still use do as your root note. So if you're playing it in G, do would be G in my opinion. Like that's right. how movable do solfege works. And if you're using a mode, because I mean, we talk about this when we talk about modes. Modes are literally the same thing in a different order. So like if you're talking about your Dorian mode, you're starting on Ray or the two of your scale. So in this situation, he just needs to keep Do as the root of the core of the song. So like it's in G if he's playing it in G or whatever and have Do be G and La be the first note of his melody if he's going to try to sing it you know what i mean that's right. my opinion on that i think it's just so su- just super complicated i think this guy needs to go back to ground zero and start over um i honestly i would say first of all throw the solfege in the trash you're a guitar player not a singer um yes you you need to know solfege um as a musician you need to understand what it is and how to communicate with it, but once you reach reach modes, no, no, it, it's especially as a guitar player, you don't need that anymore. You need to understand how the scales truly work. As uh, the just Nashville numbers, dude, just use that one through seven. Yeah, 
your your numbers and then um man that that's like so far down uh the wrong rabbit holes that it's kind of hard to dig someone out but the whole point is is to stop using soulfish because it's a singer's tool mm-hmm. um it is extremely important i'm not saying that i'm not saying that soulfish is like a capo throw your capo in the trash but no soulfish really really well that's for singing and um that's where it's supposed to be it's sound and music it's for singing it really is um and then on your guitar you need to know those Nashville numbers with your scales and just the doggone note names, just the note names that will help you so, so much understand your scales and uh, stop thinking too much about modes. Never refer mm-hmm. to uh, just a natural minor as aeolian. You, that's it. You might think it sounds smart, but it really just makes you sound kind of foolish when you're like, I'm playing an Aeolian. No, you're not. You're playing minor. You're probably playing a harmonic minor, which is not Aeolian at all anyway. So uh, do not refer to minor as Aeolian. That's just silly. Uh, if you know that that's what it is, good for you. Um, but that specific mode, that's like referring to major as Ionian to mess with people it, and and i know he's not coming from a uh a place of deceit like that i'm just right. saying for your own clarity's sake walk away from modes um yeah i i, I, would, like I tend to, to tell people on. like once they get interested in modes to be very careful because a lot of people yeah. uh like you said heavily overthink modes they're not nearly as tricky as a lot of people make them out to be Yes, for some instruments, it creates a different environment. But for us on guitar and bass and piano, that, well, I mean, piano, they'll have different fingerings for that stuff. And they can they can really make cool use of a mode for their, their fingering sake. But that's more advanced piano scale techniques. But right. for us, it really is starting the doggone scale from a different spot. And no, you don't really need a new shape. Sure, you can use a new shape, but you don't need to. It's still the same notes, buddy. If you want to play Dorian in your major scale shape and just comprehend it as the two is your quote unquote root, that's fine. Just use that as your base. And then as you learn your your fretboard more and more and more, it will get easier. But if you overwhelm yourself with these hundreds of different shapes that you can use, for an instrument, you will, your brain will rot. <laughs> it really will not uh, help you that much. I, I don't remember what it was that I, uh, that I heard this, but our brains get overwhelmed once we uh, are given more than 12 options. I think I forget where I heard that or what context it was, but uh, it's, the reason that sometimes when you look at a uh, a giant restaurant menu that you kind of get stressed out and shut down a little bit and you don't really know what you want and why right. you're hungry anymore, it's because there are so many different options that your brain is just kind of like, uh, I don't care anymore. And it tunes out. So when, But when you go to a really fancy restaurant and they hand you one little piece of paper in laminate and you're like, I have five options. Like really a restaurant like this only makes five different dishes 
and then you immediately know what you want when you look down. Well, it's because it, right. they gave you the couple of options and you knew right away, boom. Well, same thing goes for music. You're looking at the menu of all your solo playing. And if you overwhelm yourself with all these different shapes that, okay, at this moment, I'm going to need major. And then over here, I'm going to need Phrygian. Oh my gosh, then there's a dominant. Now I need a blues scale. Well, you're going to explode. Boom. <laughs> and I right. get it. Like Coltrane was a monster. And if you want to work toward that, it will take a long time. That that stuff comes so naturally to you that you don't really think about it. And you take things moment to moment and you're not really making choices of how you're navigating things. You just know the route and take the routes that you want. And it's uh, more instinctual. So right. don't rush it. Don't rush it. Take your time. Yeah. And the other thing I don't understand is why doesn't this person just think about the notes? I, that just doesn't make <sighs> yeah. any sense to me. And why do you want to have do re mis on a guitar that sounds like do 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 yeah it doesn't really I, I don't really understand where they're coming from on that but uh yeah just my best guess that would be to say get your head out of the modes and just learn the music you'll be I much happier that that's just a, a a troll post yeah right <laughs> if if right, so, so then you question. did a good job <laughs> right <laughs> All right, next question. What notes are most important while comping? I already know the best answer to this hypothetical is, quote-unquote, ask the soloist, but I'm just curious about others' tastes. <laughs> Say if you're soloing and a major 13 sharp 11 chord comes up, the 5 isn't adding much. Uh, the 5 isn't adding much Lydian flavor, and the minor ninth between it and the 11, sharp 11 might add too much dissonance when combined with the tritone. Would you prefer it for whoever's comping to leave out the fifth or leave it in? Would it bother you if they left it out without asking? <laughs> so I don't think that they notice. Yeah. I, I think Most of the Matt time can, they're, they're not thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. I think Matt can give a little bit better answer than I can on this because <laughs> I don't really comp as much. But in my opinion, listen, less is more. The guitar players don't mm -hmm. have to play every single freaking note when they're comping. Because here's the thing. My job as a bass player is to outline the chord. So if I'm playing a walking bass line and a major 13 sharp 11 comes up, first of all, I'm just going to kind of chuckle at it because literally that's just big takes, taking your hand and smashing all the keys. <laughs> um, but I'm going to play the root, the third, maybe that sharp 11, and the, uh, the seven. So I'm not going, to, I'm not going to worry about all that other junk in there, or I'm just going to connect the, just play like one, two, three, sharp four, or, you know, whatever it is based off the next chord that's coming up. But mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about the root note because the bass player's got that. You don't have to worry about the fifth because the fifth, if you play a chord one, three, seven, and then you play the chord one, three, five, seven, your ear doesn't really notice the difference. That five is not important. So the only reason yeah. the five is important is if it's altered like an augment or diminished. So yeah, yeah. And I the, would leave that out. And even in those chords, um, our, our ears are still smart enough that if you omit the flat five or sharp five, we still can put together what the chord's function is. Our mm -hmm. ears are much smarter than we think, and so you can still skip out on that five in those instances and, um, and be fine. It... Um, it's an amazing thing that our ears can do with that. 
And that might sound crazy because it's like, well, isn't it just then a minor or a major? Uh, not according to the other notes that you're playing and the function of things happening and the fact that someone else is probably hitting that note anyway. You can still omit the five. Not every time. Sometimes. Um, I'm going to, uh, again, did this person say what, what instrument they're playing? No, they did not. Okay, My I guess didn't think would so. be that they're a piano player. My guess is that as well, which would make this question uh, much more answer. important. Yeah, <laughs> um, it actually makes it a legitimate question. Whereas for a guitar player, it's just like you're overthinking it, brother. <laughs> yeah, you're going to play your three note chords up in the top, not really about the bottom notes because, come on, man, that's just too too complicated. But a piano player, you literally have all the notes in front of you, so it's a little different. Yeah, and <laughs> even for a guitar player, like when you get to that... Uh, piano voicing level yeah sure your no choice will matter a little bit but even then it it's easier than it is for a piano in my opinion of uh, a piano player those uh no choices really do make a difference especially in your voicings and how you're placing them i would say that yeah you're right that you can omit the five and be fine um it's easier on your fingers it's easier on your voicings too Right. Also, the three and the seven are the most important always because that's mm -hmm. where the quality is. So that'll tell you if it's major or minor, and it'll tell you if it's a major seven or a dominant seven. And yes. uh, those two things are the most important, even above the, uh, the extensions over the mm -hmm. seven. So yes, you can play those. I would aim to place the upper extensions higher in your voicings so that they're highlighted right. um not that you don't have to always it's just a um one method to approach it but sometimes you want to create a bit of crunch so you can bring them down and mix them in sometimes you uh you want to utilize uh like your five and some of those extensions to create some crunchy textures for your soloist to play around, but you have to know in ahead of time what it will really do. Like for me, my voicings are my different chord shapes and my triad shapes and how I utilize those and when and where and all this. Those are my voicings. You as a piano player need kind of the same thing. You kind of need a chord shape library in your head of different voicings that you enjoy. So if you don't know that, and believe me, my piano playing is not extensive in that vocabulary but i wish it was so that i would have a little bit more and i've been trying to work on that and figure it out but i feel like a lot of them might approach it in the same way when it comes to jazz because otherwise you're trying to comprehend too many notes at the same time improvised right it's not like you're playing just one note as a uh, like a bass line because you as a piano player might be playing the bass line too and you will overwhelm your brain if you don't have some voicings kind of already prepared and know how to get to the next one. And yeah, that can be a little crazy, but it is for everyone else too. So uh, practice right. your voicings, figure out what really sounds ni nice, and not just one, not one option. Find many options. I have many options for many chords on my guitar and uh, different routes that I can take every single time through a single progression. So if you have, many options that you just understand and then when you try out a different voicing you'll also know how to get to the next chord according to the voicing you chose 
because you'll just have right. different ideas on that next one. So overall, yeah, and just don't thing, overthink it, buddy. Exactly. And the other thing is that extensions are color are colors. Yes. They just add different kind of flares to it. So if they're not there, it's not the end of the world. And, and if you utilize different extensions that are on the page, good. Yeah, as long as it's not like a melody note, then you're fine. And in a solo, I mean, come on, go for it. Now, the other thing is you got to keep your ears open and listen. I mean, if your uh, soloist is not playing, if it's a sharp nine and your soloist is never hitting the sharp nine, you know, probably should stop playing the sharp nine because it's going to sound like the solo. You're going to make everybody else sound like they're making a mistake or you're going to sound really out of place yourself. True. Um, so just keep your ears open and keep it simple. But yeah, your, your three and seven are the most important after that. It's kind of sometimes you have to square it down a little bit. Right. And like Matt was saying, you know, when you want to voice your extensions, do it a little bit higher. The reason is because you don't want to create a cluster of dissonant notes right in a row. Like if you have one, three, sharp, 11, five, six, and seven all in a row, I mean, that's just going to sound really not the best. That's stupid. So spreading stuff out is very important, especially on a piano. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, next question here. This is another one that will probably make you laugh, Matt. Can a scale have more than one two chord? Uh, been playing around with the various modes of melodic and harmonic minor recently, and have noticed that a certain at certain scales, let's you see Phrygian dominant. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's you see what? Phrygian dominant for sake of this post has more than one two chord. You can play it as both D flat major and and harmonically as a D flat minor. Are we allowed to say Phrygian dominant has two two chords, or is the minor just a D flat sus two because the E is a third degree of the scale? Okay. Oh my gosh, what? <laughs> Again, we're getting into modes. Uh, people complicate modes to no end. Oh my gosh. I feel like there might have been something there, but that that was so like uh, like computer coding words that it got jumbled in my brain a little bit on yeah. that one. Let's just go back to the basic question. Can a skill have more than one two chord? No. The answer is no. <laughs> that answer is no. But I think I know what they're saying. They're confused about a borrowed chord. I think sure. that's what it is. They're yeah. thinking of a secondary dominant. <laughs> I, I think. I guess. I, I assume that's what it is. Like the song has a uh, like a two five in two different places for two different keys. And they're like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I don't know. But I, the answer is no. You can't actually have more than one two. You only get one two. And if there's another two elsewhere, fine. Yeah. whatever it's and even then um if it's uh okay so are they kind of just saying that like there's a two minor and then maybe a two major and in the same, they're like okay yeah, that's what they're in, trying to say. in which case that is not the two of your scale it's the two of a different scale hence borrowed right i think that they're just getting a little confused on what they're looking at um I mean, I guess maybe you might have that in a like a Phrygian dominant because once you get into like, so a Phrygian dominant is not a real mode. It's a mode of a mode. Kind of, you know what I mean? Like your Phrygian mode is just a Phrygian mode. Like, like the Lydian dominant scale, for example, what we use in Have You Met Miss Jones, it starts on the four. So you have, you know, like in the key of F, it'd be, F, G, A, then B natural, C, D, E flat, F. Well, that's not a real mode. 
technically the Lydian does not have an E flat, it has an E major. So that's mm -hmm. altering the mode to fit the tune. So Phrygian dominant, wouldn't that be the same thing? Yeah, I don't know. Probably. I, it just doesn't make any sense. So basically, I feel like the answer to this question is definitely no, unless you're using a borrowed chord for a secondary dominant effect. So secondary dominant is like you're moving to a chord that's a fourth up, and so you want to tonicize that chord and make that movement stronger. So instead of playing a minor chord to the next chord up, you'd play a dominant seven chord to the next chord up. So pretty interesting way of phrasing that question, I think. We also kind of have a problem there because Phrygian is dominant. It's a, it's a minor seven. Yeah, it's not even dominant. Uh, well, well, what I mean is, well, yeah, yeah. There's that too. So you can alter the. I I guess. I, I that's yeah 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 yeah. It's it's just like you said. It's altering the scale and. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not really sure where that person is entirely coming from, and I'm assuming it's exactly what you said that they're confused about. Uh, modes and borrowed chords in general and an altered mode is really what's giving them a bit of a loop but essentially the answer is no <laughs> the, yeah. the two is the two um, yes a two can be altered but that would mean it's a two to something else or it's not really even functioning as a two at all uh, two is a minor seven chord that's what yeah, it is exactly. I'm, and I'm pretty sure it's a minor 13 overall. It, it's just kind of a weird question. If you go all the way up. Yeah, it's <laughs> a weird question. Next. <laughs> all right, let's leave this one here and move on to the next one. Um, okay, how do you resolve slash follow up an augmented chord? Ooh. Thought you might like this one, Matt, with your take on augmented chords the other week. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, uh, it, well, from a guitarist perspective, uh, first just learn the um, uh, the six string root augmented chord. Hopefully, that's the first thing that comes up on Google when you're now typing it in. Type it in, listener. Go ahead, go look at it. Da 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 da. There it is. Okay. So what you might see is uh, hopefully what looks like you're playing like a flat thirteen sort of a thing. <laughs> where uh, you have a dominant 13 shape, you pull in your pinky one fret. There you go. That's that's the augmented chord. So hopefully you know what both of those things are. And now I can continue. You know what you do with that? You use chromaticism. And mm -hmm. um, I tend to use it a lot as a substitution for a, a, dominant, a dominant chord. So uh, just a five chord of whatever it is. So say it's a B flat seven. So I'll play the B flat seven and then I'll play the B flat augmented seven and then boop, it's up to the uh, E flat major seven. It just creates a little chromaticism thing I do going on there. And uh, I tend to also, you can use that in your uh, five, five string, yeah, five string root shape and raise the five when it's going into something else. 
you can utilize it in a whole bunch of different ways. But um, mostly it's just like a, a chromatic movement. I wouldn't, what I wouldn't do is you play the dominant shape as that augmented seven shape and then just hop to a different part of the fretboard. Mm-hmm. That, that, um, you created a pathway and then abandoned it in that case. So that's just not taking advantage of the movement. Usually you can find a way to then, and by the way, the, the pathway that you're creating is at the, uh, second string. So that note that's at the top, when you have the B flat seven, you then brought that chromatically up a fret and you're aiming to take it up yet another fret. And chances are your progression is going to let you use that. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind when you're looking for your next voicing of what chord it might be. Maybe it's not the one. It might be something else. You can figure it out. But that would be what I would recommend from a guitarist's perspective. It's a very useful little tool um, with substituting in chords just because like i said it is a wonderful little trade for a dominant seven chord or just any dominant chord in general right then that's how i tend to use it it's also a very crunchy sounding voicing the specific one that i said for just we're just messing around if like you just want a crunchy chord to play to create that kind of a texture, that feel, that's it's a good voicing to use. So I'm trying to think of a really good example, but if you were playing something for the opening scene of kind of like a bluesy, rockish uh, TV show track or something, and then you needed to hit a chord that sounds a bit crunchy as it fades into the show, then you could hit that chord and it sounds cool. There you go. Yay. Or whatever. There's that. Doggone it. I had another thing to go into and now I totally forgot. So now you say your piece. <laughs> um, augmented chords. I don't really use augmented chords a whole lot. I think though, like what you were saying, the best way to do it is do some sort of chromaticism with it. So if you're in the key of C and you're doing a C augmented chord and you got that G sharp in there, maybe go to an A minor next. So you have that G sharp going up a half step to an A minor or going to a G. So it's going down a half step. I think chromaticism is a good way to use it or just using it as just a nice color tone for your normal chord. So just adding it as an extra little piece of, little piece of color rather than doing it as a completely different entity on its own, you know, just still treating it like whatever the root note is and just adding an extra flavor to it. Cause like we've said, the five is not the most important note of the scale. Right. Right. So if you augment that, you're probably fine to do something a little different. Yeah, I remembered what I was going to say. If you're playing a 12-bar blues, uh, at the end of it in the turnaround, when you typically play a 5 or maybe a 2-5, if you swap out that dominant 7 for an augmented 7, that is a really good way to just cue that you're in the turnaround. If you have someone that's lost somehow in a 12-bar blues, that gives the cue right away that turn that that's the spot that's where it's happening just don't play at all during the uh the 12 bars and then just utilize it in that uh couple of beats before you come back around to the head 
It's what I use when I'm uh, working with my kids' students who are not used to a uh, like a looped um, progression and learning how to play over it. It's how I indicate to them that here it is because it stands out so much, and it also it it brings in a ton of tension moving into the one again. So they feel it, and these are these are kids that I'm talking about. So mm-hmm. they have up next to zero experience and they hear it perfectly every single time with barely any fail unless they are totally zoned out and gone. And that barely even happens because it catches the ear. So I, I tend to use it as a, a very much so a teaching tool as well because they'll hear it and they'll come back in. So you can you can rely on that as a way to indicate to some of the younger players around you that are getting used to it that this is where we are. Come on, because it still has a dominant feel. It's still heading toward the one. You're not really right. like creating exactly. a different texture. It's going towards the one even harder than the dominant might feel like. Right. And that's what I kind of meant by that, leaving it as your normal chord, just adding it as an extra color tone because it drives it a little bit differently. Yeah, exactly. Next. All right. I want to answer one more question. That's about all we have time for. Um, This last one is tips and tricks for memorizing the fretboard. Says, hello, I'm in the process of teaching myself music theory. Applying the knowledge of my guitar has been difficult as I don't know all the notes. Any tips to help memorize the board would be awesome. I've been quizzing myself with the eight of different apps and such, but anything that would help is appreciated. All right, so what I did, I I kind of, when I started playing, I literally played on one string. I played just the E string because I didn't know any different. Mm-hmm. Somebody told me that every every little line on there, which I later learned were called frets, was a half a note up. So E, F, F sharp, G, G sharp, A, A sharp, B, C, C sharp, D, D sharp, E. Pretty simple, you know? Uh so what I did is I played on one note and I slid up and down over the string back and forth till I figured out what note was what. And I just hoped that I didn't hit the wrong note. Sure. Uh, not the most efficient way to learn, in my opinion. I didn't uh, really yeah, start to yeah, learn the yeah. fretboard until I started to learn real scales and just started to play them across the string. So my like a lot of people will say, OK, learn one string first, then learn the second string, whatever. I kind of disagree with that. I think that works, but I think it's a lot slower. So my recommendation is kind of what we talked about when we answered Josie's question about scales. Um, I, I think you should learn it as you play the instrument, as you're learning your notes. So you, I can teach you a scale pattern uh, to, to play all of your all 12 major scales just by starting on a different note. I can teach you that. Yeah, sure, that's, that's fine, all fine and dandy. But what you should do as you're playing that is say the notes aloud to yourself, especially when you're starting. So C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You know, as you go up, you should say the notes out loud because it'll drill in your head. This is where my finger is, and this is the note that I'm playing, and this and is what it sounds it. like. Yeah, and actually say it out loud. And then if you can sing the pitch as you say it, it'll be even better. So that's what I would recommend because it's going to drill it as you go. The other thing that I would recommend as a bass player is to take a chord progression and learn to and just do a walk, try to learn a walking bass line over it. 
mm. because that will really test you to see, do you know your finger, do you know your scale patterns? Do you know, you know, what notes are in the scale and how do you find them on the fingerboard? Yeah. Now, obviously every line, every fret is a half step. So that is important for beginners to know. But I think that learning it as you play is way more effective than just deciding, okay, today I'm going to learn the notes and I learn C and then C sharp, then D. Okay. And I play, can play C here and I can play C there and I can play C here. Okay. There's all, I don't think that's as effective as just playing the instrument. In my opinion, there might be no, some I, people that differ with I agree with you. With you. I, I agree. I think that, that it, that's, I just think um, it's way better. Yeah. It, it's how I learned it too. And my recommendation is going to sound sacrilegious for a jazz person to say, but it is how I know my fretboard in entirety. Power chords. You know why? Mm-hmm. Um, because it gives well, you... you got to keep it simple. Well, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the reason is, is because it takes care of two strings at the same time. You get the octaves down. You know why I can play West Montgomery octaves pretty much flawlessly? Because I used power to play power chords in high school. And that's basically what the octave shapes are, is you're omitting the five of the power chords and um, then using your power chords, quote unquote, as the melody. So when um, I start using octaves in front of a student, they're just like, oh, my gosh, how are you doing that? And really, it's just me using the same exact thing that I did back in high school Mm -hmm. um, with playing uh, playing power chords. At, melodically that because that's what i used to do in high school and i just thought that that sounded cool i didn't know back then that i was learning how to play like west montgomery i had no idea that who he was or what his name was i was just accidentally playing sort of his approach it's just i was using the five and in the process of that and just playing um with that and that's how i played chords i didn't play open chords when i played for the worship team back in high school i played power chords all up and down the fretboard and i was already learning where all of the notes were and um and applying uh different voicings so sometimes i would have a uh, a c that was on the sixth string root at the eighth fret sometimes i would have the third fret on the fifth string root same notes but still I was learning where those were. But if you learn the power chords, which if you don't know, that's your first finger, sixth string, there's your root. Doesn't matter what what fret. So let's go to fret three. That's your G. And then two frets up from that, so the fifth, fifth fret on the fifth string, that's where your third finger will go. And that's your five or your D in this case. And it's the, always the five though. And then right next to that on the fourth string, still fifth fret, is the uh, uh, high end of your octave or your one again. So in that case, it's another G. So now you know three different notes and where they go. Don't worry about the D. Don't think about that. Don't worry about learning that. Worry about those two Gs. Because the more that you play that, the more you'll you'll just associate between the two. The fourth string can be a bugger sometimes. It takes a little bit to get that one. I tend I think I've heard that before as well, that other people are like, I know 
most of my fretboard, but it's the fourth string that kind of gets me sometimes. And I, and I, I agree with that. And I know from me and my point of view is that sometimes I'd have to think contextually based on the uh, sixth string of, okay, what, what does this relate to on the sixth string? And that would be my fastest route to figuring out what note was on the fourth string. Um, But at least that gives you a way. And then that same exact shape, if you just hop that to the uh, the fifth string as your root, say you were still at that third fret, hopping it up would be a fourth up, and it would be C. That There's your C chord. So now you have your C, and then your pinky is another C. And then just play that melodically mm-hmm. or use that as your chords as you're playing some basic progressions. Um, play it along the pop songs and use that instead of open chords you will learn your fretboard pretty doggone quickly. And then, uh, like like Tommy said, all those half steps in there, they'll kind of fill themselves out. As long as you understand how accidentals work, you will understand that pretty well if you know where all the other notes are. It's kind of like with a piano with the white keys. The white keys are pretty doggone easy to learn. And as long as you understand how the accidentals work, it's pretty easy to figure out what they are once you get there. Right. Very true. All right. Well, I think this has been fun. Yeah. I would like to do this again for sure. We probably have another 10 or 15 questions that I had left, but we're out of time. So we'll, we'll have to reach them at another point. So guys, we, we want to do this with your questions too. We want, I mean, come on, we do this podcast for you. So ask us your questions. We'll answer them. <laughs> and if it's your uh, questions, we're going to be much nicer to you, by the way. These well, are just redditors. That and we'll like we'll give you more details. Like we just kind yes. of answer these questions pretty quickly. We'll we'll do pretty well for you. We'll we'll even email you back. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if you give us a, a big enough question, you might end up with an episode all to yourself, pretty much. That is possible, so quite possible. It just if say your question is how how do I play a solo over awesome leaves? then we could answer that for you. It might not be an episode. I don't think that would take an entire episode to really explain, but we we can talk about that for you. If it's something like that, or if it's kind of like that question of how do I memorize my fretboard, uh, things like that, there's anything you need. If it takes five seconds, it takes five mm-hmm. seconds. The, the only stupid question is the one you don't ask. Old teacher well, adage. Some of the Reddit questions were kind of stupid, but. <laughs> oh man well but really though we we do want to answer your questions and we we really enjoy it we really like teaching and we really like showing talk, talking about music i mean i've heard people say like why why would you talk about music that's like it's like trying to like sing about science it doesn't make any sense well actually it does make sense you you have to talk about things to understand it you know People write songs for science all the time. <laughs> but talking about music is important and it does teach you a lot. So ask your questions. We will be very glad to share answers with you, at least from our experience. They might not be the perfect answer, but it'll be the best that we can give you from what we know. So anyways, uh, Matt, do you have any listening recommendations? DWRP, Return to Wherever. Please go listen to it. Support That's what them. you sent me the other day, right? Yes, it is so incredibly good. There's uh, every single track on there is uh, is 
flawless in my opinion. Um, there's uh, wonderful ideas from all of the musicians. The bass player is killing it. Yeah, like is. none other. Uh, the guitar player in this album, at least, he's kind of um, a bit laid back in, in it. Not in what I mean by that is he's just not taking a ton of the spotlight and he's serving his role perfectly. Uh, the the keys player is so surprisingly incredible on this. There's a, such good things happening from so many different styles and there's like fusion of styles happening in this. Um, the, the singing is done from a uh, vocoder, which I really like. So if you hate that, sorry, but there are instrumental tracks on here that are really awesome. I think that it's a, it's really fun kind of dance. Uh, I, you can kind of call it dance music, but it's going beyond that at this point. I would I would almost call them fusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're pretty awesome. Uh, my recommendation for the week is not really a song, which is kind of crazy. Uh, but I've been watching a lot of clinics lately, and Marcus Miller has this clinic I watched this morning, where it's just an answer to one of the questions. He takes like twenty minutes to explain how he gets his sound, and it is so cool. He's talking about it from the perspective of his new sire bass. And it confirmed a lot of things about him that I thought were true. Um, Like I I thought I knew how he balanced his pickups and it turned out I was right. And it's really cool to listen to. So I'll post that in the link below as well. Yes, yes, do. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening to us. As always, we really enjoy your feedback. We really enjoy hearing from you guys. So let us know what you think of this episode. Share it with your friends, comment, subscribe, whatever. However, all that stuff works. I'm, I'm still not really sure. Uh, <laughs> if you have someone and, that thinks um, there's two twos, then uh, send this to them. Yes, exactly. Or send them to us, one or the other. No two twos in jazz. Yeah. We're not ballerinas here. Sounds like the name <laughs> of a book. No two twos in jazz. <laughs> Oh, gosh, that's fun. All right, guys. Well, thank thank you again for listening. Oh, and don't forget, we have our Patreon page. For our patrons that subscribe during our promo period, the picks are coming, I promise. I've ordered them. They are being made and being shipped out to us, and then we'll send them out to you shortly. So, Get those uh, bonuses. Yes. All right. We'll see you guys next week. See ya. <laughs>